morning again. Uh, if you turn with me to Philippians 4.8, that is the, uh, the passage that we are in. Uh, since the beginning of the year, we've been going through a series in the book of Philippians, which is actually a letter written from a guy named Paul who is in prison to a church called Philippi. Uh, and what we've decided to do throughout the series, we've kind of broken up Philippians as a whole into kind of mini-series as we've gone. Uh, so if you remember around Lent, we focused in on Philippians 2 uh, in the language of, uh, of, of Christ laying himself down for us and what it means to be sacrificial. And, uh, and we decided when we hit Philippians 4.8, this is like one of my favorite passages. And what I loved about this passage is it's, it's very incredibly challenging in terms of how we um, take a v- close attention to how we are actually thinking and what we're putting on our minds uh, so it's one of these passages that can easily become this sort of, uh, look, carve out anything that could possibly be bad and make sure you're only putting Bible verses on your head uh, and in your mind and filling your mind only with, with church. Uh, and it can get really simplistic and not understand the why of what Paul's getting at or the incredibly beautiful positive uh, affirmation that Paul has towards this first church. So I want to actually invite you to stand so the screen's been a little funny today, so I apologize. But if you did stand for the reading of the word. Finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. So as we've talked about, the, the, one of the, probably the overriding theme that most scholars talk about in the book of Philippians is that this is a book addressing these people who are citizens of Rome and what it actually means for them to be citizens of heaven. So to see their existence here on earth, just like us, in space that has all sorts of different beliefs and ideas about the world, about politics, about what it means to be human, and he's saying, this is how you were designed. This is what it looks like to actually have your citizenship be with Jesus versus your citizenship being with anything else. So the kinds of things that we end up pledging allegiance to, whether it's deep nationalism, whether it's senses of security or finances, or some of the things we spoke about just in our morning worship, Paul is encouraging this uh, church that exists in this colony to reorient their view of citizenship. First and foremost, Paul would say to us, in light of Philippians, you're not Americans, you're followers of Jesus. First and foremost, your allegiance actually needs to be given to Jesus because sometimes that's going to fly in the face of the political system. Sometimes that's going to fly in the face of whatever social pressure exists. Sometimes the way of Jesus is not going to jive with what's around you in your city, town, neighborhood, street. And Paul is encouraging, actually, this church uh, because they're just killing it. They're doing an incredible, incredible job. He is so encouraged by their generosity and their love. And so when we look at Philippians 4.8, this passage we just read, it's vital that we keep this in the back of our mind. Paul is calling them to be citizens of a different sort. Now, I want to take a moment and, and kind of talk about something that uh, when we first started the church uh, a little over two years ago, we actually talked a fair amount about and it's really, really important, I realize, as we dive into these different um, 
things that Paul is calling this church to put their mind to. And it's this term contested space. And this is the question that I would love for each one of us to ask here and now. In whose image are you being remade? In whose image are you being remade? We sometimes pretend that we're sort of in neutral space, and then we show up at church or at a Bible study, or, or we, we go to something that we're hoping will, will grow us and, and make us better, that will help us align ourselves with what's true, whatever it may be. And then we assume that we're actually in a neutral place, and then we're hoping to kind of get something, gain some knowledge, gain some insight that will grow us to a new point. And so I would argue that that's actually never the case. We are not in a neutral place. There are actually forces all around us that are constantly pulling us to become a certain kind of person. In whose image are you being remade? There are competing like, political ideologies and economic ideologies and spiritual ones. Every inch of the planet is counterclaimed and reclaimed and counterclaimed. We are we're in a place where we are being contested for. Actually, you should think this about this issue. Actually, when it comes to healthcare, this is what you should think about. Actually, when it comes to how you're going to save, actually, these are the things you should, no, 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 these are the things you should think about. If any of you have ever Googled anything in your entire life, you know what I'm talking about, right? There are different ideas and understandings, and there are different things that are pulling for your attention. Any of you who have ever spent a few minutes just walking outside in the city of Providence, how many advertisements do you come across? Right? If any of you have ever looked at a bulletin board in a coffee shop, how many people are, are, are contesting, who are saying, no, 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 this is the best way to find peace. No, 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 this is the best way. No, this is the best for, uh, on whatever issue it may be. Uh, I, I love this story. I shared this a long time ago. A friend of mine, he talks about how his eight-year-old daughter, he asked uh, his eight-year-old daughter a question, uh, and she, it didn't matter what the question was, and she replies, like, whatever. Right? How many of you have had a child respond to you like that? <laughs> it's like, Wh whatever. Or maybe you've been the one who's responded to your parents that way. Like, okay, great, Dad, whatever. And so uh, he drills down, and he asks where she learned to respond to others' questions in this way. Like, where did you learn to respond like that? Like, she's eight years old. And her response was, everywhere. It's everywhere that shapes our lives. Right? That's like, that, that, that perfectly sums up this picture of contested space. Like, where did you learn that? I don't know. It's like everybody's. There's something in the air that pulls us into new ways of thinking. Um, there's this French philosopher who I highly recommend reading. He's not a Christian, but he, man, he just helps get at the reality of brokenness in the world. And he, his name is Michael Foucault, and he says, uh, he calls this idea, the shaping of people into a worldly mold, the normalization of the individual. We are being normalized. There are all sorts of forces. And I think specifically about a few, and they're on the screen behind me, education, right? Almost all education that most of us have come through, unless you were, you know, raised in a, a really like a Christian school maybe or, uh, you know, anything south of the Mason-Dixon line, I believe. Uh, just kidding. Uh, even at the kindergarten level, right, we're, we're, we're kind of inundated with a very secular view, a very closed view. So this isn't me advocating for like more Bible in schools. This is me saying that there's just no openness. There's a very closed-minded reality when it comes to some parts of education, 
where it's like, here are the boundaries and we don't let anything else in. The idea that we are limited to only X, Y, or Z. Uh, we see it in the media. It's unbelievably pervasive, pouring story after story into our lives, most of them contradictory to the way of Jesus. If I were to take a poll, I bet, of like favorite shows, right? Those followers of Jesus, we might find all sorts of redeeming quality in the art, right? Orange is the new black. How many people? To be honest, right. So unbelievable show. Like really powerful, riveting, and yet I, it, wouldn't, it would take you 30 seconds to start to list off the things that are counter to the way of Jesus that are portrayed in this show, right? I've talked about Mad Men often, all right? Great show. Um, the Office. No, that's perfect and holy. But, you know, and I'm not, today I'm not going to, by the way, we'll save that for next week. I'm going to talk about like purity of mind. You'll love next week. Uh, so I'll save that one. But through the media, there's all sorts of voices that are pulling us into actually this is how we're called. to. Actually, this is who you are. This is how you should deal with these situations. Marketing, I don't need to get into that. Economics, we learned from our earliest years that more is better and better is not enough. I think that perfectly sums up most of Western marketing as it relates to product placement. We learn from our earliest years that more is better and better is not enough. The MBA is actually moving the MBA logo, right? The, the, uh, the, I don't even know what he's doing. You know what I'm talking about, the MBA logo? He's like got the ball over here and he's kind of doing this thing. You know what I'm talking about? Basketball fans? No? <laughs> All right. Anyway, they're moving the logo. What has been the pride of U.S. sports for a long time is that we don't have um, product placement on jerseys. Like, we are proud of that as the American sports system, and we should be. If you've ever looked at a European soccer jersey, you, like the team name, like Manchester United is like way up here, and it's like a little badge, you know, and then it's like Kodak. Like you would, if you had no idea about soccer, right, and you just for the first time turned on European, like English, British soccer, Premier League, you'd go, oh, Team Kodak is playing Team Sharp. NASCAR. Right? NASCAR. I mean, I don't even know who the drivers are. All I know is it's McDonald's car. Um, anyway, economics, we're constantly being taught that more and more is better. Better is not enough. The NBA is not enough profit. We actually have to now do this and move the logo and start to think about not having Chicago Bulls, but it's like, you know, Sanctuary Church, Chicago Bulls. Um, the supreme value of life ends up being how much we can acquire and success is defined by more. Sexuality, the message of our culture is that sex is purely physical. And as long as no one's hurt, People can determine whatever they want. The rise of pornography has taken sex out of the bedroom and turned it into a form of entertainment. This isn't me just being puritanical. This is simply saying that there are forces that reorient our mind, and we are foolish to think that we're sitting in a neutral space, not affected by any of that. I could go on. Religion is another great place where this happens. Purpose, uh, what we think about, what we should be striving for, and what's actually good and true and beautiful. So... When we think about the fact that our minds are being pulled in all sorts of different directions, some good and some not so good, um, we have to think of the church should be an environment for counterformation. Right? Today, we should be trying to undo what the broken parts of the world did to us this week. Part of coming together is I want to reframe how I understand beauty and goodness and truth because I pretty convinced that there have been some things that have gotten in the way. 
things that have pulled me off course. And there's this principle, and I talked about this uh, two weeks ago when we actually started this little mini-series. Uh, and the principle is called displacement. Uh, and it's basically, uh, it's in relation to this text, simply means that we fight fire with fire. Like, it's not enough to just push out wrong thinking from our minds. If we just do that, if we just sort of say, I'm not going to think about all of that broken stuff anymore, uh, that will only work insofar as our will keeps us doing that. Like, right now, do not think about chocolate. How you doing? Some of you are all right. You're like, totally not thinking about chocolate. Some of you immediately were like, chocolate, right? And that thought will only stay there up until you actually then remove this sort of like force of not thinking about it. I mean, it's a silly, trivial example, but this is the case all the time with all sorts of whether it's, again, an addiction, a way of thinking. I'm just going to reorder. I'm just going to change. How many people have ever had someone say that to them? Oh, I'm so sorry you struggle with that. Just change. That's really helpful. Thank you. Right? So the idea of displacement is that you actually have to fill it with something else. Right? This is what we spoke about two weeks ago when Paul says to um, the congregation, look, those who are stealing, don't just tell them to stop stealing. Replace all that adrenaline and creativity and shift it to doing something good and true, like work with their hands in a beautiful, redemptive way. This is displacement, that your mind leaves a vacuum. As soon as you say, I'm not going to do that, I'm not going to do that, I'm going to force to do that, and you, and you don't replace it. This happens at the pulpit all the time and in churches. I have been to far too many churches where this happens, where good intentions of saying, you just have to stop doing this and stop doing this. I could so easily preach the sermon, right? Whatever is right. If you're not thinking what is right, X, Y, and Z is going to happen to you. That's really, really bad. You should think about things that are, are right. And, and if I don't give you a compelling picture of what right looks like, if I don't show you as a, as a pastor and offer my two cents of what the Bible talks about, about what the life of Jesus looks like, then all you're doing is trying to block out one behavior, one line of thinking, and replace it with nothing. It leaves a vacuum. This passage says we are to think about that which is true and noble and just and pure and lovely, virtuous, praiseworthy, and displace patterns of death with ones of life. To displace patterns of death with ones of life. What volume of thought, look, I'm asking you truly right now, what volume of thought do you give to God's viewpoint on life? Is your mind controlled with God's thinking and God's values? So today, we're up to whatever is honorable. So I'm going to unpack this for a few minutes. I'm going to hopefully give a few like insights into what might help us dive into this. But I want you to keep this question kind of hanging in the air. Like, how often do you even care? Like, do you even care about the sorts of things that you're putting in your head? N.T. Wright, when he's talking about uh, the issue of virtue, he's talking about what it means to place our our heads, our, our minds, our thought patterns on things that are good and true. He, talk, he says this, I believe this is on the screen. The command here to think about all the wonderful and lovely things listed 
runs directly opposite to the habits of mine instilled by the modern media. Read the newspapers. Their stock in trade is anything that is untrue, unholy, unjust, impure, ugly, or ill repute, vicious, and blameworthy. We know this, and yet too often we don't really own how much this messes with us. The things that are on our mind direct us. James Allen, I came across this great quote. I don't know if you, how many of you have read As a Man Thinketh. It's a fascinating book. I don't even know if it's good or bad. It's just fascinating. And he once said, you are today where your thoughts have brought you. You will be tomorrow where your thoughts take you. This is like a Captain Obvious quote. I know that. But just like let that sink in for a moment. You are today where your thoughts brought you. And you will be tomorrow where your thoughts take you. For those of you who go to the gym, you know this. Right? Those of you who do yoga, you know this. Those of you who exercise well, where you are today and all of your beautiful flab is where your exercise has taken you. Right? Amen? Amen. <laughs> and where you will be tomorrow is where your exercise takes you. Why do we think it's anything different with our thought life? In fact, if we're really honest with us, our thought life might just be a bit more important than our exercise, not to diminish exercise. We spend a whole lot of attention. In fact, a lot of people I know actually distract any kind of like, I'm going to grow as a human being or understand God more or expand my capacity to love. They actually use, ironically, discipline in a physical direction as a distraction, but that's a different sermon. James Allen goes deeper, and I want to say this isn't about like the power of positive thinking, but to me there's actually a brilliance and a beauty to know that somehow in how we are hardwired, like we are actually hardwired in a way that God's like, when you start to put the good and true and beautiful on your head, it actually changes your physiology. Like to me that's just one of the unbelievable like testimonies of, of the way that God has designed us. And he's, he goes on and says this, he says, our thoughts and emotions are represented in the body as electrochemical reactions. These chemicals are constantly floating around in our bodies and are stored in different places. The research is clear that negative thoughts and the associated harmful chemicals have detrimental effects on our health. Right? This is why this sort of like power of positive thinking thing has some validity to it. Like the more and more I put the good and the true and the beautiful on my mind, the more and more I actually choose to think that way, the more that actually shifts like like what's going on inside of me is what this writer is saying. Paul is telling this mature community in Philippians, finally, brothers and sisters, set your mind on that which is of God. Because we know that which is of God are the things that matter most. So today, this word honorable is the word I want to zoom in on for a few minutes. Say this with me, semnos. Semnos. This is the Greek word that talks, that, that is associated with the word honorable. It's mentioned only a few other places in scripture. In particular, it's usually in reference to church leaders. So church leaders should be honorable. Uh, some of your translations may say honest. Honest is a nice stab at it, but it really doesn't actually get at the heart of it because honest today simply just means like not telling a lie. It's much deeper. There's a sense of like nobility to it. Uh, worthy of respect or something that deserves honor. This word semnos should inspire reverence or awe. Uh, it describes those things that are worthy or venerable or noble, things that evoke a special respect, things that evoke a special respect. You should put your mind on things that evoke 
a special respect. So a few obvious observations. There are a whole lot of things that are not respectable. There are a whole lot of things that do not carry honor with them at all. And as followers of Jesus, we should not think about these things. Got it? Good. <laughs> this doesn't mean we hide our heads in the sand. This doesn't mean we avoid what's unpleasant or displeasing. It doesn't mean that for different, uh, different folks, our capacity to uh, hear things that are unhonorable and, and allow them to not shape us, but actually use those things uh, for opportunities to share the love of Christ, to appreciate uh, beautiful art. I'm not trying to draw some hard legalistic line, but I'm allowing, I want to make sure I allow Paul to speak very clearly to us that things that are not honorable, things that are, do not carry weight and reverence, things that are uh, dishonoring, we're not supposed to dwell on them. As followers of Jesus, things that are trivial, that are temporal, things that are mundane, like, these are not the sorts of things that people who call Jesus Lord, people who are claiming to be citizens of heaven, are not the sorts of things we should be focused on, things that are worthy of awe and adoration and praise. I understand this can be a little bit nebulous. William Barclay has this fascinating sentence. He's a, a scholar who uh, wrote this beautiful book on the book of Philippians. And he says, this word, semnos, honorable, is a word which is characteristically used by the gods and of the temples of the gods. So it's usually used in an ancient culture to refer to like the great, like the Zeuses of the world and their temples that they would lie in. A place that you would go in and you'd want to like, whoa, I need to kind of like button my shirt here. Right? I, I, I would go in and go, oh my gosh, I like, this is not a place, like this is unbelievable. Like you tread lightly. Some of you, when we first moved into this building, you actually had a, a little bit of a glimpse of that, right? We moved from a bar, which everyone was like, oh, whatever, we're at a bar, right? Spitting on the floor during worship. No, I was kidding. Right? But you actually, like, something about coming into this space, you were like, whoa. Like, this, this evokes a sense of, like, honor. There's something about this. In fact, I, I got this. Um, I really am hoping to make some copies of this for everybody. This is called Symbolism and Design uh, for the Gloria Day Evangelical Church. So this is a little pamphlet, a little book about just this room and about this building and like the, the design that went into it and how it's all meant to evoke a sense of honor and, and reverence. The thing I was most struck by as I went through, there's all the obvious things like Nicolas Cage, Jesus, um, the beautiful the beautiful stained glass, right? Over here, uh, right where the infant baptismal would be, you have the dove and you have the picture of Jesus and the children coming to him. Um, the one that was just really intriguing to me was actually this. Um, if you look over at the thing that's hiding the radiators, right, just this, like this could just be a radiator cover. Like why didn't they just go with a simple radiator cover? Nah. Instead, um, the way in which the top is crafted is after a, a certain sort of medieval pattern. I can't remember the actual term, um, but it all had to do with defense and how you would um, be able to stop, you know, arrows flying in and how you could attack people who were trying to bridge the wall. And so the artist did that to talk about, like, the defense of Scripture, right? And then there's a little, um, what looks like a little cup with a little wave above it, if you can see it, like, towards the bottom, and that's supposed to be about baptism and regeneration, just an image. And the symbol on top is about the waters of Jordan and the whole story that comes with that. And it just goes on and on and on. Like right now we're talking about the radiator covers. 
right? And like, never mind, like, if you looked up, there's like this little angel guy or seraphim or something like up there with the wings up, and then every single one of the, you know, Aztec stoplights that are up there, like what they actually mean and what's going on and what the artist intended. Uh, and we actually, you know, sadly, after reading this book, I want to like tear down our screen, like the whole altar behind the screen, just the depth of meaning. So, so there's something about, even though we're far removed from the temples of old, what William Barclay is saying is that when it's used to describe a space in the ancient world, it's the space of the gods. It's the space where God dwelt, right? It's the space of deep, deep reverence and awe. When it's used to describe people, it's described, and get this, as a person who moves throughout the world as if it were the temple of God. Boom. Like, how powerful an image is that? Like, as if every step that they did with every TV show that they watched, it's, it's as if they're walking through the temple of God. And so as it relates to Philippians 4, 8, like, whatever is honorable, put it on your mind. The things that are worthy of reverence and awe, the things that belong in the temple are the things that should be on your mind. As you sit down at 6 o'clock, tonight and cheer our nation on in World Cup soccer. Can I get an amen? I don't get patriotic too often, but today I am all red, white, and blue. As we do the simple things of this world, like celebrating a sporting event, are the kinds of things that are on our mind that we're placing on our mind honorable. Because that's going to trickle into the kinds of conversations we have. That's going to trickle into the commentary during the commercial. There is no commercial in soccer. That's going to trickle in to the kinds of life that exists around the everyday. When we think what is honorable, we're saying what has the dignity of holiness upon it? What has the dignity of holiness upon it? And those are the things we should put on our head. These are the things in this world. There are things in this world that are flippant, and there are things in this world that are cheap and only have a surface attraction. These things aren't worth our time. They do not lead to the sort of life that God has called us to. Think about the things that are truly worthy of this world, worthy of the temple. Again, this sounds so disconnected from where we are now, but just imagine what are the kinds of things that belong in the temple, the things that are weighty, the things that are important, the things that carry significance. These are the things that are deserving of our life. These are the things that will lead us to a life of love and dignity. This means that Christians are to take life seriously. And I don't mean seriously, I hope you know this. You better know this. If those of you who are new, let me explain. When I say take life seriously, I do not mean some sort of like morose attitude. I do not mean like, hmm. As followers of, hmm, it's a technical term. As followers of Jesus, we've been over this time and time again. We're to be people who rejoice. We're to be the best celebrators. We're to be the people that call in the DJ for the smallest things because we are loved by God because God is renewing all things and we have every reason to shout out the resurrection and beauty of, of what God is doing in this world. We have every reason to celebrate. But we party instead of celebrate. We set our minds on cheap things too often instead of the things that are worthy of celebration. Where to take life seriously is not a call to being sad, to being uh, stoic. 
But this is to have a sense of, man, only the noble, honorable things in this world are the sorts of things I'm going to put on my head. I was speaking with uh, Steve and Adam earlier this morning about this passage and some things I was kicking around. And Steve made a great observation. You know, if we're to look at life as the world is this temple, this place where God dwells. God dwells here on earth. The whole earth is full of his glory. Right? When Jesus goes in and casts the demons out of the temple, right, we get this image of Jesus is doing what? He's casting out the, 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 the money changers. He's casting out that which doesn't belong. He's saying, this is a place of God, and that doesn't belong. In light of Philippians, whatever is honorable, think about such things. If honorable has to do with walking through life as if, as if it's this temple, then don't put things on your mind that do not belong. The things that you put on your mind that are not good, that are not of God. And the only way we can discern those things that are not of God Right, is to know in the scriptures what God is saying. Actually, this leads to life and this leads to death. Actually, the reason why I give you this command is because I actually want you to enjoy the brilliance of fill in the blank. And so we as followers of Jesus, actually, why would we ever think about putting trivial, mundane things on our head? This isn't about being goofy once in a while. This isn't about, like, being silly. Like, if anything, those are great opportunities to love. Like, I just don't want you to get any wrong image of what I'm trying to say here. But we know the sorts of things that are just not honorable that we allow into our thought life. We are to be people who live in light of eternity. We don't need to be obsessed with naming everything that's not honorable, but rather step into a compelling picture of what it means to be alive, this picture that's laid out for us in the Gospels. We don't need to sit and go around and start pointing out all these failures in culture as much as we need to create a compelling picture as a church of what the life of Christ looks like. I got a really great uh, image recently of what's honorable. Uh, If you want to throw up the first slide there of the feast. Yeah, it's a little, little hard to see. It's a little, little hard to see. Uh, but these are, uh, this is our east side home group that meets up on uh, Gano Street. And uh, uh, buddy Kyle, who left uh, the church, uh, I think about a month ago, he moved down to North Carolina, South Carolina. Um, he had become really, in his brief time here, just a really incredible part of this one friend group, and, and in particular, just the church as a whole. It's just really a, a lasting influence. And so we have this uh, idea that I've shared a little bit about it's from this Moravian tradition where we basically got together at a restaurant, Waterman Grill, upstairs, beautiful, I've never been there before, and we sit down and uh, we order some food and some drinks, and uh, the goal of the night was to simply shower Kyle with... Um, just amazing things about him. Just to talk to him about how much we love him. The Moravians called it a love feast. Like you just, no sarcasm of the rules. And, uh, and Kyle, the only other rule was Kyle had to take it. <laughs> he couldn't like just like shrug it off. He couldn't like, he couldn't talk until the end. He had to sit there and shut up and let a whole lot of people unsarcastically tell them how much he means to them. Man, oh man, you want a picture of the kingdom of God, do that with your friends this week. It was amazing. It was as if we were sitting in the like, most holy of holies as person after person. Even people who didn't really know Kyle. That was like the best part. There was one guy who was the first time to home group. First week there. 
And he's going around and people are crying and like, you're the best man. I love. Like, it's just like, it's getting uncomfortable in the best way. And, and, this, and this one gentleman who, who Kyle had brought that week, he just kind of turns and he's like, well, I don't know you at all, but I feel like I could say something. We're all like, dude, don't ruin this moment. <laughs> like, I'm just thinking this is going to get bad. And he just goes, you know, you were the first person who reached out to me at the picnic and you actually cared enough to call me and invite me here. And Man, that, that's, that's huge. And even if all this stuff that's being shared, even if only half of it's true, like, I feel like I got a glimpse of that just in the few times you've, like, interacted with me and brought me here to home group. You know, and then the waterworks just go more. And it was, it was an amazing moment of, of honorable, of dignity, of things that had weight and raw awe and reverence. I was thinking how goodbye parties, especially, and not to be stereotypical, but I'm just going to go for it. Um, forgive me. Uh, but just with men in particular, I have found, right, our goodbye parties are like, don't talk about it, don't talk about it, don't talk about it, don't talk about it. And then it's like the end of the night. You know, some people have had maybe a little too much to drink. Like people are starting to leave and you get sort of like a bro hug really quick and then you leave. Right? It's like your good friends about to leave. Like things that are trivial and superficial, the world tells us like don't open up like that. Don't pour out that kind of love. Don't just be honest. Like be sarcastic. Find some way to, t- like whatever it may be. And it was this moment for me of like, oh, whatever is honorable, think about these things. This was a moment where honor and reverence and awe were the things I would argue saturating most of our minds. If we order our common everyday thought life in a manner worthy of the good news of Jesus, that we are loved, that he is Lord, and that death has been conquered. If we master the convictions and practices that line up with the brilliant life of Jesus, we will be able to discern what is truly excellent, and in this case, truly honorable. Does that to which you are giving your attention have honest, honorable value? Does it? Do the things that you are thinking about have the dignity of holiness on it? What are the things that are truly becoming of you that are worthy of reverence? Are these the sorts of things that are on your mind? What's honorable in the world's eyes versus the scriptures are going to be the thing that we as a church are going to have to continue to sort out together. That we might be people who are full of life and love who are disciplined in all the right sorts of ways to think like this. Because at the end of the day, I close with this, all of this requires discipline. This is like the ugly word that you immediately want to tune out. I mentioned the gym example before, right? Spiritual exercise of healthy thinking is important to us. We need to actually be people who are training our minds to think about the things that are of God This isn't just a pure, we do it on our own strength. If you're here and you're a follower of Jesus, if you've said yes to Jesus, we recognize that the Holy Spirit is here guiding us. You recognize that the Holy Spirit is giving us strength to do these things. But Paul, nowhere in Scripture differentiates between the power of the Spirit and you exercising your will. Right? He says, be transformed by the renewing of your mind. That's not sit on the couch and pray more and it'll just happen. That's sit on the couch, pray, and then get up off the couch and begin to train yourself up in the way that you already know is the good and true and beautiful way. Paul urges us 
to think, to train our minds to think well and think in virtuous way. N.T. Wright says, our culture prefers effortless spontaneity with occasional divine intervention in emergencies. <laughs> we need to cultivate a life where wise and courageous choices, where the honorable choices become second nature. And this requires time and it requires intentionality. Uh, a good example is think about like, trying to learn a second language. If you've ever tried to learn a second language, you're going to get it wrong all the time. But it's worth persisting for the goal that lies ahead. Those of you who do in-depth physical training, right? You're doing it for a goal. You want to get more healthy. You're of a, an event you're going. You're, you're running in a race, whatever it may be. How much more with Christ? How much more with having your mind be one that's in line with Jesus? How much more important is it to have our mind in line with the love and beauty and logic that is behind everything? We need to adopt a way of thinking so it becomes easy. We need to work hard at it and begin to train ourselves up, filling our mind with honorable things. And that's the key to go back to the beginning, the displacement. The key isn't just find the things that are unhonorable and try to shoot them out. What we're talking about is filling our minds with things that are truly honorable, filling our minds with things that truly carry weight and beauty and truth. You can, can control the degree to which you actually think about things that are not honorable. We don't like to think that we have that kind of control. We like to think that we cannot will ourselves to do that. We can begin right now to set our minds on the right sorts of things. This is one example for me this week. Um, Actually, before you, you play this, so I, I was down in South Kingstown in Narragansett, South Kingstown area yesterday, and uh, my grandma, uh, who's in a nursing home, my nana, uh, who's this fiery Irish woman, uh, who sometimes is a little difficult and very strong-willed, and as she started to lose some of her mental faculties, she's only become a little more punchy. Uh, and, and for those of you who have aging grandparents or maybe parents, there are times when the last thing in the world that you want to do is go visit them. Just can we be honest about that? And so as I'm driving, my mom sends a text to, uh, to Corey, my wife and I, and says, hey, while you're in town, make sure to visit Nana. And I just turned to Corey, I'm like, I don't think we have enough time. She's like, no, we really should go see Nana. No, no, we just, can we, there'll be plenty more time in the summer. Can we just, like, I didn't even want to think about it. Have you ever had a moment where you're like, no, I don't, just don't, don't even say the word Nana because it's going to get me convicted and then I'm going to want to do it and I really don't want to do it, so please stop. That was exactly where I was at. So we go to the beach, and Corey drops it. And then on the way back, um, I can't remember exactly how it came up again. She's like, hey, you know, I could go. I have to pick up some groceries. Why don't I go pick up groceries, and you bring Harper, our, our eight-month-old, uh, to go see your Nana. And at that point, I knew that I was supposed to go do that. Like I knew it five minutes ago, and like I knew it two hours before that. So I go. And uh, if you want to show the video, this happened.
Can you show the picture here? This is what happened next. I haven't seen my Nana smile like that in a while. To commit to putting a concerted effort into something, right, to actually like take a moment and go, I do not want to do this. And as soon as I went, it was the most beautiful thing ever. As soon as I went, I realized that how could I have been so selfish to think that not only was this just the right thing to do, but actually this brought unbelievable joy to both my grandma and to me. And I think everything brings joy to Harper, but it counts. <laughs> this is just a small example of really what we're getting at this morning. What's honorable? It's going to be hard to take the things that are not weighty and worthy of praise and reverent and good and true. It's hard to remove those. And it will be work to trust that the things of God, putting those into the place, are actually better. And for any of you who have walked with Jesus for even just a little bit of time, you know that as soon as you do that hard task, you're like, oh my gosh, how could I have thought any differently? How could I have thought? And how could I have not have driven two minutes to my Nana's and stepped out of the car and shown her Harper and allowed her the joy of 20 minutes just hanging out? How could I not replace this trivial thing that I'm constantly putting on my mind with the things of God? How could I not spend a few extra moments in the morning spending time praying? How could I not gather with other followers of Jesus and celebrate stuff that matters instead of just the trivial things of this life? We want to live with a depth. We want to be people who live with the weight of the glory of God we want our lives to be meaningful, to have deep brevity to them, things that are truly honorable. Whatever is honorable, Paul says, think about that stuff because that stuff is the best stuff. Pray with me, if you would. Lord Jesus, um, to my brothers and to my sisters who struggle with the trivial, with the surface, with the silly, to those who uh, feel the weight of contested space, who feel the weight of being pulled in directions that don't really matter, to those who are scared of waking up in 50 years and realizing most of their thoughts have been geared towards things that are just not all that beautiful and good. I pray, Lord, that this morning we would displace, we would displace those thoughts with the things of you. That by the power of your spirit and by the strength that you give us for our own will, that we would take part in the transformation of our minds, Lord. That we would join you in the renewal of our thought life. In your name, Lord, we pray. Amen. Amen.